0: You're not really looking for skill set. What you're looking for is a cultural fit. and are they willing to learn? and do they have ambition to learn? And so when you can get a feel for someone if they're actually a good culture fit, that's all you need is you're like, okay, got it. We'll teach them everything else that they need to know. because you know we're we're hiring them right out of right out of school. So they're not going to come out like knowing exactly how to do everything. But if they're a good culture fit, That means they're going to want to work there, everyone's going to be happy, and they'll work hard for you.
1: This is the Next Generation Education. We're talking to top entrepreneurs, thought leaders, international disruptors, while focusing on lifelong learning and how education can and needs to adapt in our modern world. You're listening to Start Ed Up. Here's your host, Don Wedrick. Welcome back everybody to another edition of the Started Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today we have on Christy Zulki. She is the founder and CEO of Knowledge Hound. They're based in Chicago. And I really like this episode because she gives some of the most practical advice and actually sometimes counterintuitive. A lot of times people talk about being an entrepreneur and they have this maverick like attitude that it, you know, if you somehow go corporate you're selling out. And she did just the opposite. She started off in a corporate setting and then decided to launch. And she goes into all the benefits that came with that. And it's, it's. I'm really glad that she brought these things up. She also kind of goes into the growing pains and um, the learning curve of starting uh, a startup. But then she also goes into quite vividly on what you guys and i say you guys our younger audience should be looking for when you audition or you go to look for a culture fit in a startup or a company you want to work for so this one's got all sorts of nuggets of wisdom that i truly appreciate the only thing that we ask is if you're enjoying these episodes we love it when you share them on twitter facebook linkedin etc and also some of the recommendations we have coming in for future guests have been wonderful Again, we're going to be changing our format a little bit in 2018. We're going to start featuring educators on Friday that are doing um, innovative entrepreneurial things in the classroom, um, and I, we sincerely appreciate those recommendations. You can always email me, don, at startedupinnovation.com. Lastly, Christy, at the end of the episode, also gives out her contact information if you are a young student if you're a young entrepreneur if you are about ready to leave high school or college i would take her up on her offer and contact her she is a wealth of information and she is most most helpful all right so without further ado christy Zulki. christy Zulki is our guest today she is a, a, a lady that went from procter and gamble to starting her own thing there at knowledge hound so christy we're going to get into your journey and what, you're, what you are doing now currently as an entrepreneur. So welcome to the show.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. So you have been introduced by a mutual friend. And Joe, thank you so much for introducing me. But mm-hmm. um, it's been a pretty interesting ride you've taken. And I want to know how you get into this you know, on the data side of things with Knowledge Hound. But let me start from the beginning. Tell everybody what, you know, what got you here from your early days of p g to now.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I, for some reason, have always known I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, So even when I was in high school, I had a journal that I kept that had a bunch of business ideas in it. And I still have that journal today and I continue to add to that book of business ideas. Uh, So for some reason, my mind has always been very entrepreneurial. And uh, I think I really exercised that entrepreneurial spirit. And like I had a, I took an elective class in high school that was for marketing. And I didn't know like entrepreneurship was a thing necessarily when I was in high school. Um, But I took a marketing class and that's kind of what held me um, at bay from thinking about entrepreneurship in the sense that I was like, oh yeah, maybe it's marketing that really gets me excited. But little did I know it was actually this idea of creating a company and taking these ideas that I had in my book to reality. So I'm I, when I went to go look for a school to attend after high school, I looked at a bunch of schools that had a major in entrepreneurship. And at that time, it was 2001. So there were probably about, I think there were like 20 schools in the U.S. that had an official major in entrepreneurship. And so I ended up landing at Xavier University in Cincinnati. And there I majored in entrepreneurship and marketing. And I met a woman who became a mentor of mine during my college years, and she said, "You know, Christy, what are you going to do when you graduate?" And I said, "You know what? I think I'm going to start a business." And she's like, "Well, what are you going to start?" And I said, "I don't really know yet, but I'm going to start something." And she's like, "All right, well, why don't you come to Procter and Gamble? That's where she worked." And she's like, "Why don't you come to Procter and Gamble and uh, learn? And we'll teach you everything you need to know about how to grow billion-dollar brands, how to be a leader." Um, you'll make mistakes and not a lot of people will notice because it's such a big company. Um, and you have some really big wins. And um, and then when you're ready, you can go start a business. And I said, yeah, you know that sounds like a really good idea.
1: I am so glad you said that. I am so like <laughs> you know, this is wonderful because I, I've I've talked to some people and um you know they're like, There's no way in hell that I'm ever gonna say, you know, and, and I'm never gonna go corporate. And like they just and, and if that's your path, that's fine. But I love the fact yeah. that your mentor said, "Hey, how about how about you learn?" And and, and yeah. it's not selling out, and it's not doing it. Hey, we're going to teach you how to build a brand, <laughs> and 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 right. seeing that Procter and Gamble's product line includes like everything. What a unique opportunity! Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I love that. I love that.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was brilliant. I didn't know how amazing that advice was at the time, and now it's really what has defined. Uh, my career and um, and really to I'm the way I learn is I'm a very visual learner and I also learn by doing and so I can't read a book and understand a concept uh, in a in a really practical way like I can understand it generally but not until I do it do, uh, do things start to really click for me and so think that's really where the value was, was that at P&G, I could take these concepts that I learned in college and, and a lot of things I really didn't even learn in college. Like they were just things that you can't learn out of a book. Um, a lot of it's around communication styles and how to be effective negotiator and all that stuff. And so like learn by doing was, was huge for me. Um, so I decided to leave P&G in 2011. And I decided to leave because I had a really cool idea. And I created a smartphone app that takes pictures of moles on your skin and analyzes their characteristics for skin cancer. So nothing to do with PNG or anything um, that I had learned while I was there, except for how to build a business. And so I partnered with an MIT grad school student. We launched the product and then sold it within 12 months time. It was really fast. Um, learned a lot about, our, about myself as an entrepreneur, a lot about the tech world and said, all right, now back to the drawing board. So I pulled out my book of ideas and said, wow, I've got this uh, product or this product idea that comes from a pain point that I experienced when I was at PNG, which was on the data side. That's where I was exposed to the data part. And I said, wow, we can never find data when we need it. How can we have almost like a Google like experience, but with our own data that we have on our consumers. And so that's what KnowledgeHound is. So four and a half years later and $4 million in funding, uh, we are a real company with a real product selling to Fortune 1000 companies.
1: There is so much to unpack there. So <laughs> let me let me go back to like, when did you <laughs> know you're like, okay, I've got something. Like, you know, when, when you kind of presented this crazy idea to where they went wide-eyed and go, yes, or was it a gradual thing or... What did that look like?
0: Yeah. So for Knowledge Hound, it was really, um, so I, I had found a technical partner that I could, I was like, all right, here's the idea that's in my head. Can you make something that looks like it works? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. So he created something that looked like it worked. Um, and I took it back to P&G and I said, hey, here's this thing. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, how much does it cost? And I said, well, how much do you have? And, you know, they said $40,000. And I was like, all right, that's how much it costs. And as soon as they wrote me a check for, um, you know, my first check, that's when I came back, drove back to Chicago and I said, oh my gosh, we have something here. Like people are willing to pay for this and um, and let's go make it, let's go make it work. So that's when I knew that I had something. Now there's so much to we had to evolve since then, meaning like we had a we were solving a real problem is what we knew. But did we have the right business model? Did we have the right pricing structure? Did we have the exact bells and whistles worked out on the product? Absolutely not. Like all those things have been an iteration over the past four and a half years over and over and over again
1: wow uh so then all of a sudden you go to that do you hey they're willing to to spend money and then how fast did you ramp up i mean you told me how much you raised um which i'm sure is a podcast in and of itself um yeah yeah Yeah. No, no no what did that look like i mean again the reason why i say this is that a decent part of my audience is are young entrepreneurs, without a doubt. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a smattering yeah. of teachers, um, but a lot here lately have been that eighteen to twenty two kind of range. And so I'm fascinated, sure. just as just as an observer, like what did that look like, and how quick did that go? Yeah.
0: So when I came back from PNG with a, a tax. It was just two of us who are working on Nala Town full-time. So it's myself and my technical co-founder. And then we had a contractor who was uh, doing some data science for us, a contracted uh, designer as well. And then, um, so yeah, I guess there's just four of us, uh, two full-time people and then two contractors. And so when I came back with that check, I was like, all right, now how do I how do so we'll take that money and improve the product and then what we need to get probably three to four more clients so we went out and got three more clients and then i then i went out Okay, I'm sorry. You, say, you
1: you say these things, and they're so like, oh yeah, we found three or four more clients. Was it just that <laughs> easy? Like, <laughs> and I, I don't mean to be mean, but like, like you obviously no. had something that people were like, dang, this is cool. But you're like, oh yeah, so we just found really like three or four more clients. No big deal. Yeah, right, right. That in and of itself right. is pretty cool. So, like in in I don't want to say like your well your version 1.0. You're you're looking for money, and at the same time you're acquiring clients. Um, did they? I'm assuming those first four clients are also giving you great feedback and that's helping you guys scale up Correct. and improve. Okay.
0: Improve, right, right, right. And and most of those, like, I was really leveraging my network to find to get into these clients. So, all of our clients are Fortune 1000 companies. So, our first client was P&G, our second client was a division of Pepsi, our third client was Jim Beam, you know, so like I didn't go for like these small companies, which is usually the way entrepreneurs start. Yeah. And I, but I just didn't have, I was just, I was at P&G and all I knew was big companies. So, but I had a network that I could leverage.
1: Yeah. Well that's what my next question was. And obviously you, you pretty much answered it. So like, once again, it's proving in your experience that having that base knowledge of working for a big corporate that, you you had a you had a circle of influence and contact list
0: right 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 yep exactly yep and I think that was really and so as you think about like all the benefits of working in a large corporation before you go out and do your own thing for me it was learning how large corporations work and was growing myself like when you're 22 you're Really, frankly, that not that mature, like from a thought process standpoint. So how do, how do you think and problem solve? Um, it gave me um, tons of new connections and a real network of com- people who I eventually am now selling to. Um, and then it also helped me walk in the shoes of my now consumer. So help me identify a problem that I know a lot about because I have had that problem myself
1: that's cool, uh so all right, things are going around now now all of a sudden you 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 go for that funding you you have your existing clients um simultaneously are i mean help explain that so you're in this next round of funding slash building up is this now are you scaling up as well? do you hire more people? What did that look like?
0: yeah, it's almost we used so our first round of funding so we get like our three um major clients. We go raise $1.2 million in seed funding. Almost all of that went towards uh, new people hiring hiring uh, a team. So we went from two full time employees to 10 full time employees. And that makeup was mostly engineers to build the product, sales people, and then client success people um, to service the to service our new our new brands that are now our clients. So that was the makeup of the team. When we, with 10 people, we took the company from having, let's say, I'm not gonna get the exact numbers right, but having like three clients to having, like uh, having over 50 or about 50, maybe 15 clients. And we said, oh gosh, we need to grow more and we need to grow faster. And so we went out and raised $3 million in funding. And so that was about a year ago. And then out of that, we hired seven more people and have really just been focused on the sales side of the business and getting a cadence down for how do we really scale this thing? How do we, instead of just using my network to find leads into these companies, how do we create like a true repeatable process? Because unfortunately my network doesn't scale. Like I'm one person. So um, how do you, get a sales development rep to do cold emailing and do that consistently. So we know we're going to get X number of leads in the door um, on a given, in a given week. And we know X percent of those will turn into an actual closed deal.
1: Okay. So uh, this (laughs) time wise, what are we talking about? I mean, this is over the course of like a year and a half, two years.
0: So from the day that we got the check from, P&G, our yeah. first check to today, it's been four and a half years.
1: That's awesome. So and, I'm sorry. Go yeah. Ahead.
0: And some days, honestly, like some days I'm like four and a half years, what the heck have I been doing for four and a half years? Like I just, <laughs> I think you read a lot in the media that there was a startup and over the past three years, they've grown from zero to a billion and they sold the company for a billion and the, and the founders owned 70% of the company. And like that is not the reality, and at all. Like it takes like ten years. It's usually yeah. like the norms are like ten years. A two hundred million dollar exit is extremely good. And most founders to conjo- together founding team, whether it's usually like two or three people together, they own ten percent or less of the company. Yeah. That's the average, which most people. Never realized
1: well, yeah, they look at the outliers and they see what's on the cover of you know the magazine that yeah. month, and that's just you're right, right. I mean right you know that's also like saying that you know I'm going to be on the cover of muscle and fitness it's just not gonna, <laughs> um it's not realistic, no, but i I love that my my next question though is is like i'm I'm enthralled with this process. who did you lean on who was or like the the lady that was your mentor there uh, the early days of p and g slash Xavier. Are you leaning on her yeah. from some of this? Cause I mean, th- this, you say that four years is a long time. That's still like blindingly fast. In my opinion, who are you leaning on?
0: Oh my gosh. It totally depends on the day. Um, and the stage of what we're in. So the biggest thing for me is surrounding myself with people who've already done what I'm going through. So, um, so for example, the, uh, some of, one of my closest mentors right now, she's the CEO of a company here in Chicago called Jelly Vision. And she, they are a SaaS-based HR platform. She grew that company from zero to 60 million in revenue. It's the exact same business model. She has to sell into HR, which is just as hard as selling into the market research fun- and analytics function inside these Fortune 1000 companies, which she's been through what I've, what I'm going through and so I can call her up anytime and say hey how did you structure your sales team and your client success team Did client success upsell or did sales upsell and she can like she can just rat off exactly what they did and so surrounding myself with people who've already walked in my shoes before is has been immensely helpful but that changes at every point in the game right so like every six months you you, you're you at a different point and you have to reinvent yourself. So therefore you have to find new people who you can entrust to get you through that next phase.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. The other thing I heard you talk about is how important that original team was and that you were wanting not just to be just about your network. Um, I've talked to a lot of people about like, it's almost universal, you know, team, team, team. It's about finding the right fit and the right team what What did that like entail? I mean, you're you're you know mm. did you did you rely yeah. on on people that you knew well, or did you kind of you know look for referrals, or you know how did you build this team that obviously made it work?
0: Yeah, almost everyone that we've hired at Knowledge Hound has come through our our network um, in some way. and um and I think that's just huge because you have, like you said, like the referrals and the trust has to be there and the proven track record because a hire that doesn't work out is so expensive and time-consuming. And it's just... And if they're a bad culture fit, especially, it can bring down an entire company because if you're one of 10 people, that's 10% of your company that is potentially toxic or not working. And that can spill over in all kinds of areas. So... We've done a really good job of hiring based on our core values. We have seven core values, and we hire based on that plus skill set. And then as you get older, or like as um, as your company gets older and you have more money to spend, you can hire the more experienced people. But when you're young, you really can't afford them. So you have to keep an eye out for the people who are going to learn and be super ambitious and who are the top A players. They may not be able to have, they might not have the experience you need, but are they the go-getters and who will teach themselves how to do it? And then as you grow, you then get to be more selective and say, okay, yes, I need the go-getters, but I also, in addition, they need to have also been there, done that. So like, for example, my VP of sales, he, this is now his third VP of sales of a SaaS company gig. And so he just came here and he's like, okay, I'm reapplying this, 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 and this. I'm going to try like this new thing, but he's already been through it. He has seen what works and what doesn't work.
1: Yeah. And that's a nice luxury to have. No, I, one thing I, I just love to hear, um, so many times, you know, I, I work with high school students and, and not only in my class, but you know, I get a lot of requests and emails and things. And, and I'm always, always, always saying, you know, right now, and don't wait for college. Don't wait till you, after you graduate from college right now, be of value and be of service to somebody. And, and, and yep. I, I just get so excited when I see, um, not necessarily always high school kids, but sometimes college kids as well, when they're willing to say, Hey, Kristen Zulke, you're killing it. I freaking love what you do. Show me the ways right. I'll buy you coffee. Although please don't say right. pick your brain, avoid Guys, avoid the term, can I pick your brain? That is we're gonna say no. But like Kristen, can I can I come to you? Can I learn from you? Can I provide value to what you're doing? Fall shamelessly at the because you're an um, even if you don't have an internship, that's a learning experience like none other. They get to see a ground level all the coolness and all the right. great things that are happening within Knowledge Hound. And and right. if you're impressed and you're growing, guess who goes yep. to the front of the line? It's just that practical. Like Right. I don't know why. And and I'm begging my high school students, and, and and some of them are absolutely taking advantage of this. Some of them are, but some of them are not. I'm like, who would you pay to work with? And are you offering their services? Like, right. like and mind you, sometimes they go, Well, Oprah. Well, okay, oh, nope, no, no, no. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> but you know, scan your world for Successful people that have a glow about them that their team like gushes over them and saying, "Oh my gosh, you have to." The places that are, like top places to work in the city, go and visit, to find out whether there's BS or not. And if they're like, "Oh my gosh, I love it here," throw yourself into a helpful mode. And if you do that, yeah, yeah you're gonna you're gonna get yeah. something out of it. At minimum, you're gonna get a great insight into this, or you're gonna find yourself possibly employed.
0: I, I completely agree with you. And I think also what really these companies are looking for as well is especially for a new hire, like right out of right out of high school or right out of undergrad, you are you're not really looking for skill set. What you're looking for is a cultural fit and are they willing to learn and do they have ambition to learn? And so when you can get a feel for someone if they're actually a good culture fit. That's all you need is you're like, okay, got it, we'll teach them everything else that they need to know. Because you know we're we're hiring them right out of right out of school. So they're not gonna come out like knowing exactly how to do everything. But if they're a good culture fit, that means they're gonna wanna work there, everyone's gonna be happy, and they'll work hard for you. And and that's really what it is. So to give someone the chance to understand if you're a good culture fit or not, that's great. And then vice versa too. I think a lot of people are are afraid of rejection and rejection is not a bad thing because if it's because it's not a good culture fit, they are helping you actually say no to an opportunity that you would be miserable. in.
1: Yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And, and quite frankly, you know, I'd almost tell, um, anybody that's listening right now that's that you're in this age range, you know, treat it like, you know, a a sincere speed dating, you know, go, go and visit other places. If, if you're like, even if they're fawning over you, because I've had some students that they're like, they're talented and and there's already people mm-hmm. fighting over them and they're probably going to be wowed over that first company that tells you that you're awesome. You're like, Oh my gosh, I really mm-hmm. am. So speed date and and find yeah. out you're, you're right. Cause you know, just because that first company says you're great. Well, the next one might have a better culture and a better feel and, and they'll still tell you that you're awesome. So no, I, I, I love yeah. that. I didn't, I didn't consider that other side. Um, well, <laughs> so throughout all this, I, I have one of the reasons why I love, love talking to entrepreneurs. Um, they love learning. Um, they yeah. have are very trial and error. Although I, I, I like the fact that um, Adam Grant, you know, came out the book originals and saying, you know, oh, no, they're not risk takers. They're risk mitigators quite often. Um, <laughs> T- some of your insights and opinions on learning and also what that looks like, um, at the collegiate level. You, you, you went to mm-hmm. a program, you went to a program that was about entrepreneurship. Um, mm-hmm. what has been your learning curve? You know, did, you know, in some ways, did Xavier do an, like a really great job in preparing you for that? Or has a lot of your learning curve been from the outside?
0: So here's, um, if I look back at, uh, You know my time in school and in my career, where I've learned the most, has been um, in three places. First, I learned when I was at Xavier, I actually started a company, my very first company, which was a video rental store. And I know that sounds like I must be like a trillion years old. I'm not that old, but it was a DVD rental store on the campus, and I started it with two other uh, students. It was the first student-run, known business on our campus. And that's where I learned the most on Xavier's campus. It wasn't in the classroom. It wasn't anywhere else. It was by building my own company. The second place where I learned the most uh, was when I went on a study abroad. I was a transfer student into Eastern Michigan University for a semester and went on this study abroad uh, tour with them where it was 20 students professors, and we backpacked across Europe. And my art classes were in art museums, my history classes were at the foot of statues in these European cities, and my political science classes were um, in history museums, but then also like in at the P- uh, Peace Palace in Den Haag. And I learned like so much, so much that semester, more than I could have ever learned in any of my time in a classroom. On a campus in Cincinnati, and then the third place that I learned the most was post-traditional education uh, when I was at PNG. Um, and then, and then of course now I'm just like drinking from a fire hose. So I don't know if you call it learning, surviving, or what, but it's, you know it's crazy. But I, my personal learning style, where I've learned the most has never been in a traditional classroom. Let me go
1: over, let me go over this. And and because (laughs) I I want, I want the DNA and I, I, first of all, I'm loving this. Thank you. Um, Because I I always get myself in trouble because I I always (laughs) ask people, tell me, I'm going to go over these four things and tell me, and I mean this rhetorically, you don't have to say, but tell me if this sounds like a a modern classroom, Um, experiential, deep embodiment, relevant and high stakes those are the mm-hmm. four things you just went over experiential mm-hmm. you, you did it even though you were in the confines of university it was without you know it was still ex, ex, you know you got to do it as an experience deep embodiment yeah. you went and traveled and you and like you were in it and i love the fact that yep. you you mentioned the culture in there that was cool um relevant it was <laughs> it's only real you know you, you were drinking through that fire hose and high stakes through the fire right. hose I think that's one of the things yeah. that I'm always constantly, um, you know, I, I, I lose sleep at times when all the stress we put our kids through and the stress is mm-hmm. all artificial. How did you do on yeah. a test? How did you do on a test that, right. will never, that will never really truly accurate measure what you were made of? Right. It, it, it is an accurate treasure. It's an accurate measurement of how well you complied or how well you can memorize things. Awesome. But so I don't know the, Can
0: I tell you a story please. about that really quick? Okay, so sorry to interrupt, but I just have such a relevant story for that. So Love it. I, when I was I was looking to leave PNG and I had to justify going to start my own business, I was kind of like, oh well, maybe I should or to justify leaving PNG, I was like, well, maybe I should go and get my MBA. So I wanted to move to Chicago. so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go I'm gonna apply uh, for Kellogg. Which is like one of the top five MBA schools. And for some reason in my mind, I was like, I'll get into Kellogg. Like, I work at PNG and I'm smart and I've done all these amazing things with my life. And I went and took the GMAT and I absolutely failed it. Like, failed it. And the score to me, all it said, it didn't say a number, it just says, you are dumb. And I remember just like crying after that test. And I'm like, I'm not dumb. I'm so smart. I am smart. And then, and I'm like, by God, I like work on a billion dollar brand, Gillette. Like, I'm not dumb. And then I uh, hired a tutor. We, he helped me like think through the GMAT questions and all that. Um, Went back, took the GMAT again. I failed it again. I did not get into Kellogg. And, and I'm telling you, I like had to coach myself I'd be like, do not let, a score define you, you are smart, you, and you know what, it has never, I've never regretted not going to get my MBA. And I'm learning far more just drinking from a fire hose by doing this than oh, I could yeah. have ever learned at any MBA school, in my opinion. Now, I also got an undergrad in business. And so like my sister has an MBA, she had an undergrad in biology. So she learned a ton getting her MBA. And that's amazing. But for me, It just was not the right learning experience. And so I totally resonate when you say these students are being measured by a score. And that is, I can't agree with you more in saying like, we're focusing them on all of us on a score, a number to tell us what we can or can't do or how good we are or we aren't. And that just isn't true. I
1: love that. Well, and thank God that you did fail it. No, oh, yeah. uh, and yeah, and yeah. Uh, and I, I think yeah. I was reading Peter Thiel's yeah. zero to one, and he was talking about this. Yeah, you know, basically, he didn't get this highly prestigious internship, and he's like, "Thank God, because I'd be writing legal briefs." Uh, and, totally. and 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 and, but I, what I love also about the story is is that um, your EQ is shining through. The mm. the the how to take a test one hundred and one. It didn't work out, and quite frankly, I have yet to meet uh, seriously. We've we've had the luxury of interviewing just a lot of neat entrepreneurs on the show. I, I can I can almost go down the list and say well, except for maybe Tucker Max, who actually learned how to cheat the test. Um, everybody everybody else well, that was an interesting story. He's a clever one. Um, he did. He learned how to anyway. So, but I mean, all these people have been telling me like, oh yeah, school didn't jive with me, and and I I, I want those people to know um, that you have tremendous worth and the world's changing to you. Uh, I have, I have a student that just barely graduated. (laughs) Um, and this kid is so immensely talented and smart. He just didn't do school. And so a lot of the teachers justifiably Mm may I I didn't like him or I shouldn't say didn't like him. Mm -hmm. They didn't didn't appreciate his, his Mm -hmm. genius because his genius flew in the face of like, Hey, could you turn this in? Nope. Now I'm working on my, I'm working on my code over here. And so, uh, you know, I, I, um, I, I'm ready for those kids to take over. The only thing is, here's my only thing, um, is that those kids also have a lot of learned helplessness and a lot of learned laziness. So they Mm. may be smart as heck, but because they feel stupid and they feel less than, even though they're talented, Mm. they're not really ready to share it with the world or feel confident because they're that kid. They're the bad kid,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. Um, and 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 it keeps me up because number number one, this is traditionally a lot of boys I know, and on mm. the flip side, and on the flip side, I have too many former students, the girls that that were good students because they were in it for the you know they they were good girl right. And then mm-hmm. they're like, when well, they get out of the college, they're like, wait a second, this isn't working out for me anymore. The, mm-hmm. I know, the, I mm-hmm. know things, the, I know things isn't paying off. Well, this has been quite an experience. Uh, Kristen, I, I'm first of all, thank you for your honesty and transparency. I love to hear that journey. Um, sure. blinding fast and all the things that you've done, uh, all the things you continue to do. It's exciting on the data side and all these things that I actually, did we even get to that really? Did you kind of accurately describe <laughs> what Knowledge Hound does and looks like? I <laughs> I feel like
0: we failed to do that. <laughs> we talked about it a little bit. Essentially, it's the Google for market research inside yeah. of our organization.
1: Knowledgehound.com. They can find you on Twitter at...
0: Yep. At Zulk10. Z-U-L-K,
1: All right. And any other things that you want to point us to? Any things that... Uh, we should know about?
0: Um, You know, I read a blog often called forentrepreneurs.org and that's got a really great um, perspective on and resources for entrepreneurs. So, you know, if if people are looking at being an entrepreneur or if they want to immerse themselves in how entrepreneurs think, it's a great blog to subscribe to.
1: That's cool. I'll check that out. That's for F-O-R or the number?
0: Yes. Okay,
1: yep, F-O-R. Okay, .org, okay. Very uh-huh. good. I appreciate your willingness to talk to us today. I love your journey. Thank you so much for being on the show. You bet. All happy,
0: right. Happy I could contribute.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll see you. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave your comments, questions, and suggest show topics at com. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Start Add Up and Facebook.com
0: slash Start Add Up. We're back next week with a new episode.